And we are back to normal. <laughs> back to the abnormal. Now, people are asking why the country is downhill and divisive. As Americans have soured on the country's direction, NBC News is at least saying in a poll they took that a large majority of people across different race, age, sexual preference groups, and everything in between say they are way below the normal level of approvals for anything that has to do with the Biden administration. And it is something that uh, is, is troubling to those people who uh, support the Democrats. They're seeing their choices doing things they never thought they'd see their choices doing, which is basically almost near surrender to anything normal in this world. But right now, let's take you to a different part of New York City where, um, you know, as the uh, foreign... Uh, um, um, situation is something that everybody's keeping an eye on. Yeah, this is what usually happens in Washington when the administration, whatever the administration is, whoever is in power, uh, and something is going not too good, they normally just go out and, and, and start looking at the international picture and hoping that if they do something good overseas, it will translate into positive opinion on people over here. But that's not happening because even though they've invited the president of the Ukraine and its leadership and its foreign ministers to come here and talk about the situation in the Ukraine, they're also telling their embassies personnel to run away and hide and telling Americans to leave Ukraine. This is what's happening now. Here is America's ambassador to the United Nations on the situation in the Ukraine. I know who she is, but she needs a haircut and a makeover. I have... I've seen so many white hairs since my cat. NATO, the G7, the European Union, OSCE, and other key allies and partners. We've spoken directly with the Russians on a number of occasions, including most recently Secretary Blinken's meeting with Foreign Minister Lavrov on Friday to ensure that they understand our concerns. So, you know, they're saying, we, you know, we've spoken to the uh, Russians. We've talked to other people to talk to the Russians. We've done this, we've done that, we've done this, we've done everything. But deep down inside, the Russians are saying, <laughs> you can't even handle a TikTok virus that is rampaging through your foreign affairs department. Yeah. Um, for those of you who don't know, that you remember back in the day when, when all our diplomats and government officials were using something called BlackBerry? And it was semi-secure. You know, people could actually count on your BlackBerry not being, you know, hacked or whatever. But guess what? It doesn't work anymore. So, uh, <laughs> and what's the primary reason behind it? Because so many people are using TikTok. And guess what TikTok has? It has a lot of little dance numbers, a lot of little things, and, you know, people with uh, uh, very good looks uh, dancing around and uh, things jungling under or near under their T-shirts or short pants or whatever. And it makes people want to watch these things. Unfortunately, a lot of our diplomats are watching those things. And what happens to our diplomats watch those things? They end up talking like this. And positions. And we understand theirs. In every meeting and every venue available to us, we are continuing to pursue the path of diplomacy and dialogue 
and we have made clear we need to see signs of de-escalation from Russia. While we can't predict exactly what will happen next, we know Russia's playbook. We know it includes measures beyond overt military action. It often starts with cyber attacks, paramilitary activity, disinformation campaigns intended to obscure the facts and create a pretext for their own aggression and other efforts to destabilize their targets. Well, wait a minute. Don't we do that as well? I mean, we, we kind of do that kind of thing, don't we? Uh, maybe. I don't know. Some guy in Langley listening to this thing is going, no, we don't. Of course not. No, we never do that. Well, actually, no, that's not true. We actually do. <laughs> but anyway, the State Department talking about Russia just makes me laugh on a laugh sometimes. In this case, they have already been trafficking in disinformation and propaganda and attempting to paint Ukraine and Ukrainian government officials as the aggressors and Russia as the victim. Well, actually, uh, Ukraine has been bribing our officials for such a long time. God only knows what they're trying to paint anybody. I mean, <laughs> you know, they put so much money into Hunter Biden and uh, Joe Biden and Fred Biden's pockets, uh, not to mention Hillary Clinton. Uh, so many officials across the European Union. There's a lot of bribery that comes out of Ukraine. In fact, the biggest export of Ukraine is not natural gas and oil or food products, but actually is bribes. So let's be clear. There is only one country with 100,000 troops prepositioned on the border. It's not us, definitely, because why? Joe Biden is telling our diplomats to leave Ukraine, also American citizens, and head for the hills <laughs> because Putin's coming. Yeah. Oh, smoking Joe. Participating in war games and spreading propaganda. Propaganda. Yeah, lady. That's kind of like what you're doing right now. And that's Russia. We have consistently pushed back against Russia's fictitious narratives, and we will continue to do so. Mm-hmm. Really now. And is it is imperative that the world sees Russia's actions rather than just listening to its words. Well, the thing is, if maybe you took some video and put it out there and tried to let people see clearly what Russia is doing, like, for example, satellite video imagery, uh, you have all these resources and capabilities, uh, then maybe people would believe you. It is also crucial that other UN member states understand how Russia's aggression undermines their own peace and security. Well, you know, that's pretty much what they're saying, but it's not new. It's pretty much old hat. And in fact, Joining us now, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, now a Fox News contributor. Welcome back to Fox News Sunday. Good morning. It's great to be with you, Shannon. All right, let's start with the UK, and it's uh, telling us that it's discovered a plot that Russia is trying to put a Russian-backed or Russian-sympathetic uh, individual as the new leader in Kiev. Uh, the NSC here on the U.S. stateside says this, this kind of plotting is deeply concerning. The Ukrainian people have the sovereign right to determine their own future. We stand with our democratically elected partners in Ukraine. number of Russian in, uh, officials calling this misinformation, their embassy in the UK saying this, we are resolutely Absolutely calling upon London to stop the stupid rhetorical provocations, quite dangerous in the current heated situation, and to contribute the, to the genuine diplomatic efforts aimed at ensuring reliable guarantees of European security. Um, given word of this potential plot, which could it be done short of force, how does it play out? Where are we this morning? 
Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. I assume that the UK reporting is real. Uh, Vladimir Putin has wanted to put Russia-friendly leaders in the capital in Kiev in control of the country for an awfully long time. Now he's tried to do so through a political gamesmanship, uh, a coercion, all, all the kinds of things, the tools of statecraft that are sub rosa, not overt. Now he appears to be massing troops, not only inside of uh, Western Russia, but inside of Belarus as well, a short run down into Ukraine from there, uh, preparing coercive force, the capacity to, to change what the Ukrainian people want from where they are today, with President Zelensky running an important country, a country that matters to the United States, and want to put someone friendly to Russia. And so he, he puts this in the newspapers and Pravda and the Russian outlets. This is Russian propaganda. Vladimir Putin knows that Ukraine is not going to attack Russia. To suggest somehow that there is a threat from NATO or from the Ukraine is just propaganda and excuse for Vladimir Putin to do what he ultimately wants, which is to extend his influence, his authority, his power, his control into the former Warsaw Pact countries. So you mentioned the multiple fronts now potentially unfolding. There is face-to-face -face diplomacy. Our Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, with Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov, they've had conversations. We're told the next step in this is that the U.S. is going to provide written answers to some of Russia's demands. They've included things like Ukraine can never join NATO. There are critics of this who think uh, they're worried that the U.S., whatever we put in writing, Russia is going to use as a context for moving in. We're told that there are now conversations about getting our diplomatic uh, personnel out of uh, Kiev. This sounds like it's escalating. How do we bring it back from the break? Can we? Shannon, it's, it's awful late. Uh, the real hard work of deterrence uh, would have happened a long time ago, a year ago, when President Putin demanded that we give him a new start treaty extension. We gave it to him for nothing. When they had Russian cyber attacks and they shut down the colonial pipeline, we told them you can only attack uh, certain sectors, but 16 are off limits. When uh, we left Afghanistan in the way we did, uh, th th those were the places where the administration had the chance to establish deterrence. Putin saw this. And so these tactical things today about whether our families will stay in Ukraine, we've got to do the right thing and take care of our families. But these tactical things aren't what causes Vladimir Putin to recalculate his cost-benefit analysis. I think they don't see President Biden as credible. I think they see all this talking, these pieces of paper being exchanged is not credible. They don't do the right thing. They don't protect the American people, establish deterrence and prevent, reduce the risk that what President Biden called a, a minor incursion. It reminded me, Shannon, of when President Obama called ISIS the JV, right? Same kind of downplaying of risk. When he talks about a minor incursion, this could cause an awful lot of lives to be lost, not only in Ukraine, but in other places in Europe and energy prices to skyrocket all across the world. So as you look at that and listen to it, of course, that was uh, former uh, U.S. Uh, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Prior to that, of course, we do know that Pompeo was uh, head of the uh, U.S. Central Intelligence Agency. He was a little more clearly, you know, obviously in in, uh, in context to what is happening. But now let's hit, listen to a third party. And that, of course, is India's uh, former foreign well, secretary and uh, what, what he had to say about it uh, of course he is speaking on uh russia's rt tv uh and you know the indian view on uh, what is happening with russia so let's uh listen into this question again quoted by russia today or rt tv as it used to be called um it is now more known as uh it used to be known as, actually at one time as radio moscow 
and uh, now this is Russia Today, which is a video streaming platform, which is still accessible here in the United States. And uh, you know, uh, Indian uh, former Indian Prime Minister's uh, sorry Foreign Minister's reaction to the situation in the Ukraine. The core question is the expansion of NATO uh, to Ukraine. And if that problem is resolved, everything else falls in place. And I am always surprised why Finland and Sweden would remain out of NATO during the Cold War when the Soviet Union was very strong and its threat was being felt all over the world and continue to be outside NATO. So why can't there be an understanding around Ukraine? Why is the West, especially in the United States, pushing for Ukraine's membership of NATO? Now, if on this, there can be a fundamental understanding, then I think uh, the rest of what is happening is totally unnecessary. And so, you know, as, as uh, you know, the Russians see it and as, as some of Russia's friends and allies see it, uh, the issue is, is more that of, uh, you know, the Ukraine and, and uh, how, how uh, Ukraine's in, involvement in all this is, is largely based on, on what is happening in in other places. Uh, some more on that, on particularly the situation and the weapons uh, that were left behind in Afghanistan, the U.S. pullout there, the U.S. collapse of support that many countries view around the world on the United States and how uh, it is no longer, well, at least under Joe Biden, is no longer seen as anything more than a fair weather friend that when things get tough, the United States gets going. And when you have somebody like Victoria Nguyen, quite apart from other leaders, uh, who are deeply immersed in anti-Putinism and anti-Russia deciding policy. Uh, it is not, it is inconceivable that Europe will be given uh, a free hand. And therefore, United States has to come on board, uh, which uh, is not going to be easy, as I said, because it is now part of the domestic politics. And after the Afghanistan debacle, uh, if, Putin, if Biden uh, succumbs, he's seen succumbing to, to Russian demands, it will damage uh, U.S. power, it will damage NATO, it will damage U.S.'s global position and its uh, reliability uh, as a partner. So there are huge stakes on both sides and it is imperative, imperative that uh, there is a bilateral understanding between India and the United States, to, which is the foremost need because Europe will fall in place. And you mentioned earlier what the German naval chief said in Delhi. This was actually a live streaming occasion. He knew he was speaking publicly. And what he said makes eminent sense. He spoke truth to power. But the mood now in Europe and the United States is suspect. They don't want to listen to the truth to power. And the poor fellow has had to submit his resignation. If we ignore the rhetoric, and by that I mean NATO saying we think, which is, that's an opinion, we think Russia's planning um, to invade Ukraine. Russia says, no, we're not planning that. If we just stick to the facts on the ground, we've got, you know, a large buildup of Russian troops on Russian territory. Um, we have NATO countries sending weaponry to Europe and even more so now to Eastern Europe. When you've got what some might say, okay, it's a standoff, is this considered, we do consider this to be an escalation, sending greater military power to Eastern Europe? Yes, of course it is, because President Putin had laid down certain public uh, conditions, uh, which to my mind uh, seemed very legitimate from Russia's security uh, point of view. 
he's, he's not he's talking about non-extension of NATO essentially to Georgia, Ukraine, and Moldova, not positioning offensive weapons close to uh, Russian periphery. Now, this is eminently sensible because if the reverse was done by Russia uh, in uh, America, North America, or Latin America, you would see the reaction uh, from the United States. Uh, and this fiction that uh, NATO is uh, doesn't uh, threaten Russia uh, and that it is just a bogey. Now, if it doesn't threaten Russia, what's the need to expand it? Right close to Russia's borders and bring Ukraine into it. Uh, so I think uh, what uh, the Russian Europeans are trying to do by this move is to say in advance that they are not going to accept all the conditions that have uh, laid down uh, by Russia and also are threatening sanctions. So it's building steadily uh, towards an escalation and a standoff where neither side will be able to easily step back without loss of face. And it's a great pity. As I said, the core of the question is the needless expansion and the relentless expansion of NATO close to the heartland of, of Russia, which for any country, any country, uh, would be unacceptable. So, you know, as you listen to that, of course, that is uh, that was a, an interview by uh, RT, as we mentioned, of India's uh, former foreign minister, uh, kind of a pro-Russia guy, um, and that's pretty obvious. Uh, uh, you know, Kamal Sebal. Did I get that correct? Let me double check that. Is that Sebal? Kamal Sebal, I believe is his name. And, uh, or Sebal. Yes. Uh, Kana, Kanwal, Kanwal Sebal. I'm sorry, Kanwal Sebal. I'm sorry, Mr. Sebal, uh, but you're not even here in the room. You're just playing back your audio from an interview you have that's up on a streaming channel. That I just happened to take a look at, you know, one of the things I used to do when I, when I was when I was covering um, conflict overseas was, was I often would go and, and try and get all sides, you know, as often as possible. Get all sides of the situation. Get get you know, don't just take the government line, hook line, and sinker, and try and see what was going on. I remember during the height of the uh, uh, pre-invasion period when Colin Powell was sitting before the UN and. Uh, talking about uh, mobile chemical weapons plants and things like that. And we, we kept interviewing these inspectors, you know, these, these former inspectors um, who were in Pakistan or in India or, you know, in, in other countries who, who, who had looked at Iraq. And this was way back in oh, 2002, somewhere in there, 2003. And whenever that happened with Colin Powell, um, you know, may rest in peace. But basically the info he got or so was told uh, was basically used to create a lie that allowed the United States to get into a very huge war. Why on earth uh, anyone would be faking things, talking about if indeed it is not true, um, when, when it comes to Ukraine? Uh, why, why they're talking about invasions, why they're talking about war in that part of the world, and the risk it has to the United States, Ukraine is not part of our sphere of influence. Russia was founded when Vikings, essentially, had come down from somewhere in the northern sections of Europe, uh, and, and, and they, they went down the uh, 
uh, rivers of Europe winding up in Turkey, what is present-day Turkey, <coughs> where they served uh, as part of the army of the uh, sultans and what is now Istanbul in Turkey. Um, you know, that, that was that was back in the day, the, the old uh, pre-Ottoman Empire, the, the old empires of, of uh, Syria and uh, other countries that existed in that area. And uh, so these uh, uh, eventually um, moved away from uh, that part of the world. And something like you know, 1,200 years ago or so, 1,200 years ago, um, these former Vikings didn't want to go all the way back to Viking land, northern Europe. And they found these lands in... Uh, what is now present day Kiev in uh, Ukraine. And uh, they settled in Kiev. They settled in uh, the Crimea. And uh, these folks, you know, usually had, you know, they'd come down the Volga River from uh, Estonia and that area. And they had, they had moved all along this path line. And they founded a country. That was, uh, I'd say, 1,200 years ago. So it was when they grew out of the area of Kiev. And that eventually became known as um, Russia. So Russia and the Ukraine uh, have long been a part of each other in more ways than one. And that does not mean that Ukrainians and Russians are not ethnically different in some, you know, authenticity, uh, um, origin points, and other things. They're, they're definitely very similar, but they are also different, and they are also unique. Ukraine has a right to its own self-determination, uh, just as Georgia does, just as Moldova does, just as uh, um, uh, Belarus does, you know, all these other countries that are down in there, these Slavic states. And... and but but essentially, in the in the eyes of the average Russian, what is happening here is, uh, from their point of view, is the United States and Europe is breaking them up. It would be like, let's say, somebody coming in from overseas and financing and helping and and establishing, um, oh, I don't know, say Texas to separate from the United States and form its own little country. And the U.S. going in and deciding, oh, we'll take back Galveston or Houston uh, or Nazis or something like that, you know. And so there's issues about that. And, and that is a situation essentially for the Ukraine when it comes to Russia. In the minds of the average Russian, what the United States and Europe is doing there is going against over a thousand years of history in that part of the world. So you have to understand from that perspective and that point of view. Now, obviously, uh, the Soviet Union was a brutal communist regime that caused millions of Ukrainians to lose their lives under central planning and famine that was caused by a brutal regime out of Moscow. And there's always been this resentment from Kiev of Moscow, even when, in reality, if we go far back enough, Moscovites originally came from Kiev, if you really think about it. 
and they settled Moscow, or they conquered Moscow, and they, and they settled that part of the Russian steppe. And it grew out. Um, but that, of course, is, you know, the Persians and the Ottomans and the you know different empires that, that existed back in the day in that part of the world, you know, and the offshoot of that, Genghis Khan and, uh, you know, all those, all those centuries ago of movements of peoples and the Viscounts and the Vandals and the Vikings and the, you know, whatever else that was moving around back then. Um, and, and this created this entire different situation that we're looking at right now. So if you go far back enough in history, you'll find a lot of interesting things. Now, if you go back to recent history, you can look back and find interesting things as well. You know, and one of those very interesting things, of course, is the fact that the son of our president, the son of Joe Biden, has been at it again recently. And according to a post, there was a post, a report, excuse me, a report that was published in the uh, New York Post. Uh, well, you know what? He's at it again. And Hunter is making money, taking in money from sources that are not exactly seen as legitimate. The Secret Service. They redacted hundreds of pages of records related to Hunter Biden's overseas travel and apparently withheld information about trips to China, Russia, and other countries, two leading Republican senators claim. In a Tuesday letter to Secret Service Director James Murray, sends Chuck Grassley, R. Iowa, and Ron Johnson, R. Wiss, alleged the agency hit names and other information contained in email conversations regarding Hunter Biden without any proper legal justification. The senators specifically noted that documents turned over at their request do not show whether Secret Service personnel or Hunter Biden traveled to Kazakhstan in May or June 2014 during a trip to Paris. Biden, whose father, President Biden, was vice president at the time, decided to ditch his Secret Service bodyguards before flying to Kazakhstan to pursue a deal on behalf of the Ukrainian energy company Burisma, the Washington Examiner reported last year. So, you know, that is the, 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 the thing that is popping up again. Yes, he's at it again. Good old Hunter Biden is causing problems for his dad. Well, what is new there? Not much, really, if you think about it. But, uh, you know, when, 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 when you look at all these situations, you try and figure out just exactly what is going on, you know, here. And, uh, you know, what, what is all this stuff um, that uh, they're talking about? Why is uh, James Comer uh, seeking more information about hunter biden's ties to a chinese owned mine that was being uh, uh sold somehow and how a lot of the problems the united states is now going into when it comes to the ukraine have to do with uh you know uh some mine somewhere that uh basically 
is, is dealing in rare earth and other substances that the United States really needs strategically. Tang Kifungiraum, a mine in the Democratic Republic of Congo, produces large amounts of cobalt used to develop electric vehicle batteries. And that is the mine, basically. And uh, it, it is also a very important component, not just with electric vehicle batteries, but cobalt is also used for weapon systems. It is also used as a means of replacing so-called DU rounds or depleted uranium because cobalt is one of the hardest substances known to man. And when you use cobalt, um, well, uh, it also makes it very important for the manufacture of submarines, especially this diesel electric submarines. The Chinese have not been so successful with their nuclear submarines. Um, and so therefore they're, they're into this thing. And it is something that we need to look into as well. I am Mike of New York. I will keep on this story and I will keep looking at it again. With the distractions of the football season basically over for me, hey, I'm back on the game. And the game is keeping an eye on those people who keep trying to do the same. Here we go. Talk to you later. Bye. I'm Mike of New York. And that has been our podcast for today. (laughs) 